0: This is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we're going to talk about Blue Red in Neon Dynasty. So first a reminder, of course, the notes that I'll be referencing uh, while I talk about this are available on Patreon.com draftingarchetypes Drafting Archetypes. So let's get straight into it. Blue-red is the third lowest win rate archetype in the format, according to 17 lands, among the two color pairs, of course, just ahead of white-red and red-green. I've personally had some success with it. I've drafted it three times, trophy twice. I don't think it's that bad, but it's also not amazing. Talk through some of what's going on there. Biggest picture, single point of advice. Uh, the thing that I think you want to be focusing on while you're drafting this deck is that you wanna keep your curve as low as possible. Both the Reconfigure and Ninjutsu are powerful abilities in this archetype, and they're both very mana intensive. So that means you don't wanna have spells that are also asking you to spend a lot of mana, because your deck is gonna be capable of spending mana anyway, and you're not gonna be able to take full advantage of all of your cards if you have expensive cards, plus cards that want you to spend extra mana on them. As an added bonus, if your curve is very low, Then Experimental Synthesizer is a really good card, and then that has synergies with Voltage Search, which is another card that, uh, you know, both of those are low-cost cards themselves and kind of work well in this, like, low-curve package strategy thing that I think Blue Red wants to be up to. So if you want just quick-hit single piece of advice to go forth and draft Blue Red, it's really prioritize keeping your curve as low as possible. When in doubt, take the cheaper card. There are artifact synergies available. Mostly, I think patchwork automaton is the most important card to push you in that direction. I don't think you want to like work super hard to like max your artifact count to push like Tuashi Song Shaper or whatever, but I think that if you have patchwork automaton, then it's worth thinking about trying to maximize your artifacts and or your ninjas if you're picking up a ninja with an artifact then that'll let you trigger patchwork automaton again so a little bit of added value there. but I think it's you know more important to focus on having like a low curve generally aggressive strategy over uh, going out of your way to play as many artifacts as possible specifically The patchwork automaton essentially, Two mana, one, one, ward two. Whenever you play an artifact, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So the Mechonaut is the blue-red 2-2 flyer that makes your artifacts cost one less. That card is good since it itself is cheap and it helps make your other cards cheaper and you want to play cheap cards. But I don't think that you want to go particularly far out of your way to push its synergies by making sure that you're like playing artifacts or like looking for expensive artifacts to make cheaper with it or anything. Like... Even if I had that, I would still want to fill my deck with just like cards that cost one, even though they don't get the discount. So, yeah, low curve, aggressive. I think suit up in particular is very important because you want to be just attacking a lot. And suit up makes it very, very easy to just attack with whatever you have. So suit up is really good in this archetype, given that, you know, the problem with suit, like where suit up is bad is if you don't have a creature or if creatures that you have are already big. But if you're playing a lot of creatures that cost one and two mana, then you'll reliably able to get value out of it when you want to. Uh, You know, your opponent's going to be inclined to block if you're getting some damage through early, and then you can use this to, you know, do what you want, which is kill a creature and draw a card for three mana. So suit up is a good blue card that really excels in blue-red in particular. I've talked about, you know, aggressive archetypes where creatures can kind of be sorted into having like evasion or like provoke, like something that encourages your opponent to block them or something that makes them harder to block. The more your creatures naturally lend themselves to getting blocked, the better suit up is. Blue mostly plays creatures that are trying not to get blocked. Although some of the ninjas uh, like Moon Circuit Hacker are likely to get blocked. They're cards that your opponent doesn't want to let you hit them with again after they're in play. But the red creatures are generally creatures that your opponent is very inclined to try to block. And so suit up pairs particularly well with the red creatures in the format to get your opponent to block and then get to use suit up to punish them. Let's talk about uh, some of the best commons in the archetype. First, let's start with the weird one. Not that weird because this card is known to be very good, but Imperial Oath is the second winningest common in blue red. Notable, obviously, that I said you want to keep your curve very low. And you want to try to be aggressive, and you would expect that an off color six drop would not be a card that you would want if all of that's true. Yep. Imperial is good, though. Uh, (laughs) I I do think that the normal red, like philosophically red, blue red decks, I, I don't think want Imperial Oath, but I think that there's a different way to draft blue red where Imperial Oath is very good which is like your red cards are the same red cards that I recommend in the red white Imperial oath deck. Your red cards are experimental synthesizer and commies flare and voltage surge. And then you have blue cards like the modern age and any random, you know, like really just any blue cards. It doesn't matter. Just normal blue cards, And then red removal, and then hang out and play the imperial oaths that you're splashing. And that's uh, like getting into strategically very similar to my recommended plan for red white, where instead of you know extra white removal, you have extra blue, probably just like card filtering, maybe a little bit of white removal, plus uh, imperial oath. I'm not going to be focusing on that kind of deck. I think I've really explained like cheap removal plus Imperial Oath as a strategy in the red-white episode. So here I'm going to be looking at the kinds of blue-red decks that are not playing the second best common in the color pair, in the color pair, Imperial Oath. So from among the cards that you can cast with blue and red mana, so Moon Circuit Hacker is the only common that performs better than Imperial Oath it's one and a half percent win rate on 17 lands ahead of the second winningest common um, in this uh, like among blue and red commons network disruptor. Moon Circuit Hacker is like notably better than other stuff in blue red in a way that is interesting because it's not that way in other archetypes. Across the board, the modern age is the best blue common, but in blue red, Moon Circuit Hacker is. Not terribly difficult to figure out why that is. Moon Circuit Hacker is best when you have one mana creatures and you know generally cheap creatures and cheap removal so that you can get easy value out of your Moon Circuit Hacker's first card draw and then maybe clear blockers and continue getting value out of it. And if your whole deck has a pretty low curve, it can be easy to... Profitably like discard lands and draw cards and benefit from uh, its looting ability more than you might in some other archetypes. So, Moon Circuit Hacker is a particularly high priority for Blue Red. Beyond that, the other important commons Network Disruptor, Kami's Flare, Voltage Surge, Moon Snare Specialist, and Suit Up. Not terribly surprising. Those are the best commons of each of these colors. If you build your deck with know as many of those cards as possible it'll do pretty well the next tier these are the cards that you like are generally looking to fill your deck with searchlight companion experimental synthesizer iron apprentice and the modern age note that iron apprentice the one one artifact creature or well the zero zero artifact creature that comes with a plus one plus one counter that can give to something else when it dies performs better than every red common uh creature and I agree that it, it that that matches my experience. I think that it is better than every red common creature, maybe in general, certainly in this archetype, uh, having just like one cost creatures, if you have any network disruptors or prosperous thieves, and then to a lesser extent, moon circuit hackers is, um, or I mean, uh, moon scenario specialists is just very, very strong. And it, play as well just when you have cheap creatures it's you know pretty easy for it to like trade off and make another creature better and you're going to have the other creature in play because you have a low curve you can do tricky stuff with sacrificing it to voltage surge as a combat trick to like win a combat somewhere else and stuff so iron apprentice looks comparable to some not very good cards in other formats pretty good in this format and then uh exceptionally good in blue red in particular which well blue red and blue black i think it's and it really it's just a great red creature. Like I, I think that it pairs better with the red than with other colors by a noticeable margin. You get the value out of sacrificing it. You get artifact synergies, you get modified synergies. So definitely something that you want to think of largely, but not exclusively as a red creature and then prioritize it as the best red common creature. So th- those are like that list of commons that I've said are, you know, those are commons you should be happy about. There are some other commons that are fine filler playables, you know, Tawashi Songshaper and Unstoppable Ogre and um, Tamiyo's Completion, cards like that. If your deck doesn't have any of that stuff, you're going to be happier than if it does. Usually it's going to have to have some of that stuff. Whereas the other cards, like you might, you know, actively be missing any of those that you don't have. Interesting note, looking at successful commons Gift of Wrath, the four mana plus two plus two and menace enchantment, performs appreciably well in this format. Not not at the level of the top stuff that I talked about, but like its stats are really comparable with Iron Hoof Boar and Sky Swarmer Koi, which are kind of just below the like Iron Apprentice Modern Age tier. Notably, Gift of Wrath performs better than like Tameo's Completion, which is not a card you should be terribly unhappy to play. Uh, I Um, gift of wrath isn't played a lot it's a little bit of a risky card you know if your opponent cameos completions or arrests the thing that you put gift of wrath on it's a pretty big hit but plus two plus two in menace and then also getting another creature after they deal with that does represent like a very large threat a lot of damage it's totally credible to me that this card has pretty good win rate i think You know, it's not, again, not something you should prioritize. It's something that you will get for free. And if you're trying to figure out, you know, your like lower tier playables, I I would certainly say consider it among your options um, if it fits well in your curve and strategy. Big picture, I think that this is a deck that plays well at common and at low rarity in general. You know, the more aggressive you are, I've mentioned a lot, the more aggressive you are, the less important it is is to have rares because you know if the, your games are ending quickly there will be a lot of games where you just don't draw them anyway and I think that this is a deck that's going to succeed or fail more based on how much synergy it has and what its curve is than how strong the best cards in your deck are. This is a nice deck to have in your roster or you know deck to know how to draft if you're not getting bombs, but you have some, you know, like you find an open like any of the many drafts where red is wide open, spot where blue is open, if you can just get, you know, a lot of premium commons, because you know, some sometimes you can position yourself into a spot where color is open, but bombs just happen to not get open and passed to you. Sometimes that's a good space to be in. Sometimes it's a bad space to be in if you have a control deck that's going to play long games and you're going to need to like stack up the total power level of your deck to the total power of your level of your opponent's deck. Even if your colors are open, if the best cards aren't open, you might end up with a pretty weak deck. Whereas with this deck, if you identify that your lane is open and you're getting all the commons you want, I think you're going to have a pretty good deck regardless of whether the higher rarity cards that you would ideally like to see end up being open and passed to you or not. So little bit of a safer archetype in that way Notably as far as like higher rarity stuff goes twin shot sniper the best uncommon in the archetype is there are only three cards in the set perform better than twin shot sniper in blue red that's just fable of the mirror breaker iteration the um, blue uh, the blue equivalent of uh, fable of the mirror breaker the blue rare saga and then the blue dragon. Kyrie or whatever, however that's pronounced, Kyrie. Twin Shot Sniper is better than all the other rares, or at least not necessarily quite clearly better than all the other rares. Very similar win rate to a lot of good rares. and It's taken a little bit later. Stats get a little weird comparing there in terms of how much people get attached to their rares or whatever. Uh, the point is there aren't a lot of like super bombs in the archetype or in this format in general. You know, and then like Twin Shot Sniper is quite good but you no know, twin shot sniper is quite good <laughs> we'll just leave it at that it's also like there aren't a lot of uncommons either on twin shot sniper's level and you don't need any of that stuff for that to succeed as i mentioned top uncommons in the archetype i've mentioned some of this twin shot sniper the i guess i haven't said the four mana two three reach that deals two damage to something when you when it enters the battlefield and then you can uh, channel it for two mana to do two damage to something patchwork automaton that's the one one ward two that grows you play artifacts for two mana enthusiastic mechanos the two two flyer for blue red behold the unspeakable that's the five mana saga that shrinks your opponent's creatures draws cards and becomes a giant flying trampler Kamano faces Kakazan. That's the saga that does damage to your opponent and then puts a plus one plus one counter on a creature you play that turn and then becomes a two two haste that exiles things. Circuit Mender is the artifact. Three two, gain two life. it leaves play, a draw a card. Prosperous Thief, the three two ninja, three to play, two to ninja two. When a ninja rogue hits them, make a treasure. Seismic Wave, that's the three mana burn spell that does. Two to any target, one to every target uh, except your opponent's artifact creatures. All, all your opponent's non-artifact creatures in your opponent. Sometimes three to, not your opponent. Kills two and three toughness disguise or whatever. Uh, high-speed hoverbike, that's the uh, two-mana flash vehicle. 2-2 flyer, ETB tap something, crew one, and rabbit battery. The 1-1 haste, uh, reconfigure, give haste. Those are the notably good uncommons. That's the kind of stuff that you're looking for to have a reason to get into this space. Like I said, you don't need a lot of that, but there's still, you know, you probably aren't going to move into drafting red because you saw some network or blue red because you saw some network disruptors or whatever. So presumably you'll have a couple of those cards that got you down this path and then you can kind of just ride your way to a good deck taking, you know, network disruptors and commies flares and random good cheap blue and red cards from there obviously it's not clear you're playing a tempo game generally aggressive strategy i'm a big fan of simian sling as kind of a way to like close out games push early damage let your little creatures attack through their slightly less little creatures you have a lot of good early creatures to push damage in and then a lot of reasonable ways to stop your opponent from defending themselves. Anything from Network Disruptor, the 1-1 flyer that taps something, to Moonsnare Specialist, the 2-2 ninja that bounces something, to suit up the trick that makes your creature a 4-5 to win combat, to Ironhoof Boar, the 5-4 haste trampler for 6 that you can channel for plus 3, plus 1 and trample. Obviously, also every reconfigure creature you can use to uh, make your creatures attack into larger creatures or whatever, not to mention just creatures with flying. So a lot of ways to push damage, make it hard for your opponent to block, get access to finishing your opponent off when they start turning the corner. So strategically, you're trying to play, you know, these one and two mana creatures that hit for a good amount of damage, punish your opponent for the fact that likely they're, you know, early cards or sagas that don't block well, and then start, Making tempo plays when your opponent starts, you know trying to stabilize and then finish them off with some incidental damage from your Simian slings or a flyer or burn from your kami flares and your twin shot sniper, or you know, whatever it takes to get the last few points across, get them low and then play an iron hoof bore or channel an iron hoof bore. A lot of ways to push the last few points of damage. So that's it. Low curve, aggressive tempo deck. Nothing too fancy. Uh, I think it works out reasonably well. Uh, I have heard of complaints. I think that you know that would likely come from like overemphasis on uh, some of the like weaker creatures that are less good at pushing damage, more likely to kind of get shut down. I think you know your unstoppable ogres and twashi song shapers and stuff have a place in small numbers, but if you try to lean too heavily into like an Artifact Matters theme, especially if you start playing like Scrapyard Steelbreakers and stuff. I think that your deck gets a little bit clunky, a little bit easy for opposing decks to kind of like gum up on the ground. I think you really want to focus on having a nice lean deck with some good tricks and tempo plays to really stop your opponents like larger green creatures from shutting down your aggression. And there you have it. That's... That's my take on Blu-Red. So I'm going to turn it over to Twitch for questions. So anyone who has any questions about this archetype, whether you've asked them or not, please put them in chat. And uh, while I'm letting people think of those and get them down, anyone who is not already a patron over at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, I encourage you to check out the, you know, cite the benefits see if you're interested in supporting the program also of course thank my newest patrons cilantro and felix thank you very much for the support all right first question this might be a tricky question for you to answer especially considering you draft less red than a lot of other streamers okay but considering there's only really five blue commons you want here you go into the cost benefit of staying mono red and some medium filler versus um, red blue for five to eight blue cards. So, while there are like five blue cards that are like a step better than the other blue cards, I think it's weird to call out specifically, well, there aren't that many blue cards you really want because I would say there are, you know, the only red cards you really want are. Flare, Surge, Synthesizer, or three red cards you really want. You know, I think Song Shaper and Simeon Sling are fine if you want to like round it out to five of each. Oh, and, and Bore, and boar. But I also don't think that it's, you know, too unreasonable to round Blue out and say, well, it's not bad to play a Sky Swimmer Koi or an Armguard Familiar or uh, a Tamio's Completion. So I think that, you know, as with really every color in this format there's kind of like a top some number i mean like i think that there are pretty appreciable gaps between the top few commons in each color and the next tier and then the next tier like the the premium stuff the like i'm happy to play this and then the i guess i can put this in my decks and I don't think that like blue or red is really all that much deeper than the other color on stuff that you want here. As far as like, well, if there's not that much blue stuff that you want, should I just play more of the red cards? That's kind of what I was talking about at the end in terms of like, I think that this deck's biggest fail state is when you have just like too many of those like uh, red ground-based creatures. I-, I think that the blue like evasion and tempo elements are really important for the deck in terms of just like not having your red creatures ultimately get embarrassed by like getting shut down by Imperial Oath. And then before that, like your opponents uh, come, you of terrible secrets or Jukai preservers or whatever. I think that there are just like a lot of creatures that are just like a little bit bigger than the red creatures in a way where if you're like really relying on red creatures it can cause uh, some vulnerabilities. My blue-red decks have generally erred toward more blue than red. That's, you know, I, I think that if you happen to get, like, a lot of synthesizers and surges, like, you know, if red's wide open, it's not, like, a problem if you end up being more red than blue, if that's where the good cards are. But I do think that, you know, as far as, like, you know, looking at all of the commons that exist... Are there like a lot more red commons than you want than blue? I, I don't think so. I think that the two colors are actually pretty balanced in terms of like how many cards, like is a given pack more likely to have a good red card for you or a good blue card for you or whatever. Next up, is Tawashi Guidebot good in this deck? I didn't mention it and no. Uh, so I love Tawashi Guidebot, but the reason that I love Tawashi Guidebot is that I expect my games to be longer than most players. And Tawashi Guidebot is a card that's quality is just directly related to the number of turns that you think a game is going to be. If you're hanging out for a long time and you can spend mana drawing cards with it, Tawashi Guidebot incidentally is the four mana, two one ETB, put a plus one, plus one counter in something, and then four four minus number of modified creatures, tap draw a card. That card is good if you are likely to get into like board stalls where you can like draw cards and win the board stall because you drew cards blue red is light like generally trying to end the game rather than trying to hang out the extra cards that you draw are more likely to be low impact and not matter even if you can get into the state where you're using the guide bot and then i also mentioned that the deck in general just like naturally has other mana sinks such that a card lets you spend four mana to draw a card likely in late game that would be the best thing that you can spend mana on but not necessarily worth going out of your way to have a thing to spend mana on when you already have you know your experimental synthesizers and reconfigures and replaying the guys that you've picked up with ninjutsu and stuff like that so uh, i do think this is one of the worst uh, archetypes for tuashi guide bot which is a card that i think generally works pretty well in my decks so i take it pretty highly But it's a card with kind of mediocre stats across the board, and this is the kind of deck that would pull its stats down. Next up, would you splash Oni Cult Anvil if you had a few dual lands? Oni Cult Anvil is, I believe, the second best non-rare card to splash in the archetype. After Imperial Oath, Uh, I think that it is reasonable to splash. Uh, It would depend a little bit on how good my deck is at using it. Most red decks use it very well. It would depend a little bit on, you know, how much like filtering type stuff I have. Like the more I have like Modern Age, and Moon Circuit Hacker or whatever to um, help find the mana for it or like discard it if I just don't think it's gonna work out or whatever. But I I do think that Oni Cult Anvil is a splashable card under the right circumstances. Next up, there are a lot of artifacts and artifact payoffs in red and blue. There are also some guard artifacts in black. Can the blue-red deck benefit from specific black artifacts? And how does the mana fixing into Grixis, factor into a Grixis artifact deck? So I've been asked about Grixis artifacts a few times recently. I have never drafted a Grixis artifact deck. I mentioned that with blue-red, I don't think that you want to try to push the like artifact matters stuff Too far. I think you can, you know, get take advantage of a few incidental synergies because a lot of the cards that you want happen to be artifacts. But outside of Patchwork Automaton, I don't think that you're getting paid very much for artifact synergies in these colors. And I also think that if you have Automaton, you can kind of naturally find enough artifacts. You don't really need to go to black just to like get more artifacts. And I think that the decks in this space like any two of the Grixis pair, like color pairs, I think generally want to be aggressive. And the more aggressive you are, the worse splashing is. So I think that even though all of these pairs do theoretically have overlap in the artifact space, I think it's rare that you want to bother to play all of them rather than just choosing a pair. There just aren't that many cards that like, reward you for kind of like discovered synergies in uh, the three color deck I think and then I also like I mentioned that this deck is kind of very good at like spending all of its mana because of how much you want like one drops and reconfigure and ninja to and stuff all of that means that tap lands are more likely to uh relevantly like to cost a mana on any turn that you draw them because you're spending a lot of mana and you're capable of spending it in small increments. So it's just less likely that you have like an unused mana on some turn to play a tapped land without a drawback, which is another reason not to prioritize taking those lands in the draft, which means that you're going to be less well positioned to pivot or to splash. And then also just like not wanting to take a card that would ask you to take those lands because you still will have the same incentives not to take or play those lands. So at least for me, I have not been in a draft yet where it made sense to, like, try to go into that space. Given the recommendation of playing a low curve and reconfiguring ninjutsu or ways to spend mana, does that mean instants like Thirst for Knowledge or Disruption Protocol are less desirable despite fitting the uh, artifact synergies? Yes, I do believe that. I think there is an archetype that uses Thirst for Knowledge, Disruption Protocol, and the... um, the two mana artifact that draws two uh, uh, and then red removal. Like that would be the other space that I talked about. That's playing more of the, like, you know, really wants just like red removal and then likely wants to splash Imperial oath. And I've also had like a blue black version of that deck that had disruption protocol, plus a bunch of card draw and positioned itself into a controlling space. I think the tools are there to do that, but It's very different than the, like, red-minded blue-red deck. So there is hypothetically that control space. And I do think that Thirst for Knowledge and Disruption Protocol play well together. But I think that the, like, aggressive space that I think plays to this deck's strengths a little more naturally doesn't want those cards. And when I say plays to this deck's, this archetype's strengths more naturally, I'm talking about, like, you know, in addition to the fact that red, just like, is red generally likes to be aggressive... You know, the top blue commons in terms of like how kind of like strong they are based on how much they win in general, being network disruptor, modern age, moon snare specialist, moon circuit hacker, suit up, like all of when when all the blue cards are aggressive and then you pair red like blue with red, which generally lends to being aggressive. It's hard to go like, oh, well, I have these two colors that both really like to attack and have good synergies when I put them together and try to attack with them. So I guess I'm just going to draft a bunch of card draw and removal and counterspells. Like, you can do it. I think it's more likely that you end up in that space if you end up with, like, some, you know, strong blue and red rares. And then maybe someone else is kind of taking the aggressive cards. but Or maybe they're taking, like, one of the colors of aggressive cards. Like, maybe there's a blue-black ninja player in front of you. And so they're taking your Network Disruptors and your Moon uh, Snare Specialists, but they're giving you those Counterspells and Card Draw spells, and then maybe Red's open so you're getting the Red removal. I can see it happening. I don't think it's the default way to draft Blue and Red, but I do think that there is you know, that deck that really wants Imperial Oath as its like top end that uh, leans into all of that Card Draw Counterspell removal space. Next up, how many cards like Boar are you willing to play to end games and about how many two drops do you want? Now you mentioned low curve, but is there a number of finishers you like to have versus early one and two drops? So the thing about Boar is that it doubles as, you know, plus two, plus one and trample or plus three, plus one and trample for two mana. So in a pinch, you can get away with playing more of them and uh, just being you know, like, yeah, whatever, this is an aggressive trick. That said... I'd be pretty unhappy to play more than two boars and generally think I just want one, barring special circumstances. And then as far as like two drops, it's tricky because they're like, often when you say like, how many two drops do you want? What you really are talking about is like, you know, assuming that you have like very few one drops, like the two drops at the beginning of your game, like maybe you're going like tap land into two drop or just nothing into two drop. And in this deck, it's like, I'm hoping to have like five to eight one drops. And then on top of that, I would like five to 10 more two mana plays. (laughs) If I give you a number that's just like a very large number for how many two drops I want, my concern would be, but like, do you have enough one drops also? And then, you know, if I were to say, well, like, okay, well, what's the greatest number of like four and five drops you want? Or I mean, three and four drops you want. It's like, well... Kind of depends on like how on plan they are. And I had a deck the other day with six Moon Specialists. Would I tell you to play six four drops? No. Is Moon Specialist a four drop? No, not exactly. Especially if you have a lot of one and two drops, you could play it for three mana. There's, you know, some weirdness there, but like, and I don't want to just be like, oh, no, no, no. Just play every two drop you possibly can. Because I think if you fill your deck with... Armguard familiars and washi song shapers and patchwork decoys or whatever the, the two one that uh you can spend two mana and draw a card when it leaves play. If you have a bunch of that stuff in your blue red deck, I think your blue-red deck's really bad because those cards can kind of get like shut down pretty easily, and you need a bunch of support to like make sure that you can attack with them. I I think that the guideline, try to keep your curve low and try to like have a good. Like, you know, disruptive tempo plan where you make sure that, like, you have, like, evasion and removal and ways to get through your opponent's blocker is, like, a better way to think of it than, like, okay, exactly what I want my curve to be. Cool. I'm going to wrap it up there. We have, I think, three more archetypes to cover. So, kind of uh, wrapping things up or, you know, getting into the home stretch on Neon Dynasty. I believe that we'll be finishing this. I should really think through exact dates and stuff. I believe that we'll be finishing this before we're ready for New I know there's going to be Cube Up, Tinker's Cube Up on Arena for a little while in there, uh, Dominaria for a little while in there. Um, so I need to look into the timing as we wrap up Neon Dynasty, figuring out if there's going to be you know a, a weird episode in there somewhere. But for now, we're going to uh, stick to finishing out these last archetypes. Should have time to cover everything. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next time.